prophecy has been fulfilled over and over throughout already, yet there are many prophecies yet to be fulfilled. And the Lord is coming back, that he's he's gathering the nation, Israel, gathering his people. But he's also, the Bible said there's a time of the Gentile, which is uh, every other race besides Israel. So we are in on that. We are in on his great gathering. And so until the day where he calls us home, he has called us to, to go and make disciples. So he's part of our discipling starts with you and I. We can be a learner. How many are learning yet? I'm so excited for the hunger that I see in your hearts uh, to learn more, What to learn more of, a, of the grace that you can never exhaust the word of God. You can never say, well, I've read that already. I, I just, you know, I just... But you go go through it again and again, and you keep finding fresh things, things that seem to make more sense each trip through the Scriptures. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, that he is constantly uh, teaching us. So we started a little bit of a, uh, a message last Sunday, First Peter. We're going to kind of continue with First uh, Peter for a bit here. We, we didn't get to the whole chapter. Well, I will just review a bit. Uh, last Sunday, we... we we titled it, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. And so what, what Peter gets into in the first chapter is the fact that we have an inheritance. We've been born again by the mercy and grace of God, verse 3. Uh, we, have a, we have this inheritance, which is heaven, eternal life, forever and forever and forever. I mentioned if you lived... 100 years twice, you'd be 200 years old. That would still be very temporary in comparison to eternity with our Lord. I don't know uh, how it worked in the Old Testament. They lived many hundreds of years old. In fact, they were way up in the 600, 700, 800, 900 plus. I, didn't, I don't quite understand. Some, there are some theories to that. Um, but uh, that would just be, it would just be theories. But we know that because of the fall of man and because of, uh, of sin, uh, life on earth has been shortened. We're not promised. We're not promised exactly how many years. There's an approximate that we can say, but you know what? As long as the Lord giveth breath, let's be found faithful. You know, and it's exciting to me to see people that are in their years, yet they're still searching. They're still seeking God's word. They're still learning. That's a good sign to continue to be a, a disciple. And so this, this word, uh, the first chapter, went into a little bit about trials, a little bit about uh, being uh, persecuted, uh, and it said the word, if necessary, you have been distressed. That's an interesting phrase. It's almost like he's saying, well, trials may be necessary to get us where God wants us to be. I don't like trials. I don't think you do. I like things to go well. We like to be happy, right? No. How many like to be happy? How many are happy? today. Oh, 50, 60 percent. That's pretty good. How many didn't hear me? I see. 
You know, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Is who can explain that one for us? The best I can come up with is happiness is controlled by circumstances. Things that make you happy. But what about times when it's out of your control? We need something more. We need something that's like the joy. Joy of the Lord. That means the residing presence of Jesus maintains, you maintain an element of joy in spite of in spite of the rain on your picnic today, right? It can get you down a bit if you dwell on, well, you know, I'm struggling with, well, how are we going to get all this work done, you know? You know, it's, it's to take a breath and begin to count your many blessings. Begin to count your many blessings. We sing that song way back in the day. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. The greatest blessing is that we have been born again. That we have Jesus in our heart. Our sins are forgiven. That is the greatest blessing. And Peter goes into this fact that the proof of your faith, verse 7, being more precious than gold, their faith. Your salvation is more precious than gold, which will be tested, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. So in other words, when you're squeezed, when the pressure's on in life, what, want, what God wants, us, wants to come out of you is praise. I will bless the Lord. Job did that, didn't he? He was very much under distress as he found his health taken away, his family destroyed, all in one moment's time. And he was tested. We will have our moments, but listen, the word of God is our encouragement. The word of God will help you have faith. When you read the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You want to hear from the Lord, you look into the word. Find that the work of the Holy Spirit was working in the church in those days, in the early church of the book of Acts, for example. They went out and preached the gospel and they paid the price. They prayed the price, and they also paid the price. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They were actually honored that they were persecuted for Jesus' sake. What an attitude. That they were considered worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. What, an, what, a, what a marvelous attitude. So we'll pick it up at verse 10. And he writes, as to this salvation, so what we're talking about today is our salvation, our Lord Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we read here that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you 
made careful search and inquire. Now the prophets of the old, they were careful that they would write exactly what the Lord was putting on their heart. They were like an instrument in God's hand. Now that we have the written word of God, we have we can look at it as God speaking to you and I. They made careful search and they were careful to only write what God was speaking to them to write. So for example in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 The prophet wrote these words. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. That was prophesied by Isaiah, fulfilled before the cross, at the scourging process, on down through the cross, the crucifixion. That was prophesied. That was fulfilled. They weren't sure at that time what in the world that was all about. Notice, notice in the passage at verse 11, at First Peter 1, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. Isn't it wonderful to know that God himself, Jesus, was working through the prophet? Isn't it interesting that Jesus, his spirit, is in the prophet pre-crucifixion? Isn't that interesting and marvelous that Jesus was directing the lordship and the works workmanship of of the penmanship of of the writing down and recording the word of God. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Verse 12. But you and these things which which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Isn't it interesting that the Lord didn't call angels to preach the gospel. Angels are assigned to you and I as to protect us. The psalmist said, I will give you, I will give you as angels in, in charge concerning you as you dash your foot against the stone. How many know that there have been moments where you, there, were, there had to have been an angel or the Lord somehow, yes, intervened. There's some way I know. I know there was something to that effect when I was lifting the guys up on the roof that time with the lull. Remember, Horton? You kind of remember that, don't you? There's several guys in the basket, and I had to. I wasn't that familiar with the machine, and I began to roll. It began to roll back there. But I was just getting them up on the edge of the roof to start the shingles, and all of a sudden they're sprawled out. Remember, Horton? And I remember you saying that there was something that, like, helped him. And he didn't fall. Thank God. The angels long to look. But guess 
just for a moment. We have been chosen to proclaim. You and I have been chosen to take the message and to proclaim it and to live it out and to encourage people around us to speak the word and testify and tell people by your lifestyle, by the words that come out of your mouth, that there is a Jesus in whom is alive and well today and that he's coming back for the church. He's coming back for those who are looking for him. He's coming back for those who have accepted and believed on him. That is what the gospel is all about. That is what the church ought to be grounded. That is our purpose. That is our, the reason we have a, an outreach for kids, that they can hear the gospel, that they can get a message, at least even on their level. That's why we, we put in the effort. Katie, I just have to tell you that when you came up here this morning in the rain and I saw your two little kids running in the rain, I thought to myself, this is why I love to do what I'm doing. Your little kids are are learning, your children are learning the value of going to church. Someday, who knows, will they end up and their kids you see, when you set a, a pattern, folks, when you set the pat, when you set the state, when you set the pace, as Paul said, follow me. Paul said this to his people that he was mentoring, follow me as I follow Christ. Our kids need to see it in us. Our grandkids and then our community. Those who are in public places, some of you work in people places. What a prime place. What an opportunity. If you're not in a public place, that's okay. You can always be praying. It, it, it's no excuse. There's, a, there's always a dimension of somehow supporting and, and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first of all, the, the prophets, they rode down <coughs> wondering, what does this really mean? They were trying, they were just being obedient. And as they scribed the words, in verse 12, we read it. They said they were not serving themselves. They were not in it for themselves. We are not preaching the gospel for ourselves. We're living it so that others will see, so that others might believe so that others may know that there is a way in which God wants us to live. God has a plan for every person. Everywhere on the earth, he has a plan. But they have to come to understand, acknowledge Jesus. You are the first step to understand that Jesus paid the price. I was talking to a man. <clears throat> we just met at a was at a wedding reception. We had a lot of weddings to go to this last month. And, you know, we had time and we were waiting for pictures. And 
pretty soon uh, I noticed the guy was talking quite a bit to an elderly person, and it was actually his father-in-law. But it turned out this man had had been an atheist prior to his conversion, and he was he was quite out. He flat out said, "I used to be an atheist." Well, what t- what turned you? Well, he said, "I used to think that I could argue God down. I used to think that." It's your fault, God, you made me this way. Until he understood that God came down and gave his life. He couldn't argue with that. That's the difference. There's no other gods besides him. We understand that. There's a lot of false gods. But our God is the only God that came down and gave his life so that you and I could be receive eternal life and he lives on and he therefore we are not serving ourselves we are not doing this for ourselves we are we have moved on now we are now that we come to the lord now now the work begins to grow up in the lord so that we can help others so that we we learn so that we can encourage others that's the reason we learn we're not just storing up knowledge so that we can sort of kind of well Look at me, look what I can, look what I understand. No, 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 no. It's, it's to help people understand the wonderful love of Jesus. You see, the love of Jesus crosses every denomination barrier. He crosses every tribe, every nationality. He goes over and beyond every, every, any kind of prejudice. He goes past all the stuff and labels, he goes past it down, and he sees the heart of the man or woman or the young person, and he sees the heart. He sees the intent of the heart. And when you turn your intent in your heart and you look to Jesus, he hears and sees, and he's right there to come into your life. What a wonderful Lord. Secondly, the people of God are called to gird their minds for action, the people, we are the people, the church, the believers. He says in verse 13, gird your minds for The word gird is interesting. Gird would have something to do with putting on, you know, clothes of gird and wrapping yourself. How many know that you get more done when you get your mind on it, right? If you are a project, if you got a project, or you've set out to reach a goal, you will get there somehow, right? Most, most app, uh, it starts in the mind, and then you begin to work at it until you uh, complete. Guard your mind. In other words, we've got to get our mind in the right place. We've got to get our mind on the Lord, first of all. We've got we to understand that, that that we are here for a reason. In Nehemiah's day, when he was uh, distraught over his hometown, Jerusalem, he was a cupbearer to the king. He was just basically going about doing his job. But something got a hold of his heart and mind, and he began to become burdened, so so much so that he couldn't even eat anymore. And he could just he just wanted to cry. He, he was burdened over the, his his hometown who had uh, had been have been de- destroyed by the enemy and and the walls were torn down the place was a mess and he asked permission 
from the king he was serving to if he could go back to his hometown and help help serve, help bring them around. And you know that story. Nehemiah worked with the people. He prayed. He, he went out and he, he got the mind of the Lord for the, for the project. And he, and he rallied the people, but that wasn't as easy. The people got going, but then they were attacked. How many know when you sometimes try to do something for the Lord, you, the enemy was right there to give you some jabs, to give you some discouragement, to try to interfere, try to combat against us. But you know what? The Bible says in Nehemiah that the people had a mind to work, a mind to work. They had the understanding. Uh, the reason they were doing this was the purpose to restore the broken state of Jerusalem, the capital of the nation where God chose to dwell. And it was in their heart. You see, you cannot, you cannot stop people when their hearts or minds are made. It's difficult. Their, their mind is, is powerful when it is used in the right way, especially to bring about something positive. Verse 14, it's described here that we are as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in, in ignorance. He's referring to their former manner of life. In other words, they were once in the world, caught up in the world, kind of like what everybody else did, they did. Whatever uh, seemed to feel good, they, it was, that was fine. But Jesus comes and opens our eyes to change our hearts so that we want to live differently. We want to live closer to, to him than any other. That's the desire of our heart. We want to please him. We want to walk in, in, his, in his attitude, in his character. In verse 15, and I think Cal had mentioned this in Sunday school, somewhere along about being holy. And I, I thought, well, you know, that's part of the word that I'm sharing. Verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. That verse could be misunderstood. But I want you to look at it this way. It could be looked at as this way. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this in order to be holy. Number one. You've got to surrender to Jesus, number one. Admit your sin. And then, out of that relationship, you get to do this. You get to do this. You get to give. You get to pray. You get to go to church. You get to help and encourage. See the difference? When we get it mixed up, it becomes legalism. Or it becomes religion. Rather than relationship out of a want to. It becomes, I have to. We become feeling that God is not pleased with me because I'm not doing these things. Listen, first and foremost, as you become his child, he loves you no matter what, no matter what you do when you are be being in him. From out of that, then you begin to do the things out of, a, out of the natural, of, this, of a relationship, out of a caring heart relationship. I know that some of you, as you've been parents and still parents, you could see right through your son or your daughter when they did their, their, their work or their um, chores. 
because they had to, because they wanted to honor you. How many know what I'm talking about? You, you've been there. That's, that's the stuff we fight. But to be holy, there is a difference between a believer and a non-believer. There needs to be a difference of life because there's a different heart. There's a different mindset. This is what we do because of what, who we believe in. This is what we do because our heart is not what it used to be. Remember when our heart is on the Lord that we are going to see things differently. I mentioned this once or twice when I was growing up. Oh, if I give my heart totally to the Lord, he'll make me go somewhere really strange, Africa or India, and make me a missionary, and I'll be miserable. Right? Some of you have had maybe some similar. You know what's wrong with that? God doesn't make us. He changes us. All of a sudden, you want to. It's a whole lot easier to go somewhere when you want to than when you have to. And this is the problem. Many people are in in this place. They feel trapped in their jobs. They feel they have to. This is the only way they can make money. This is this is all they have. This is the way it's going to be the rest of their life. And we get in all this kind of stuff. We've got to come to the Lord and realize, Lord, what are you wanting? What is your call here? And when we understand we're called to him, it frees us up. It frees us up to be what we are intended to be. When we, are, we recognize we're called to God, you begin to become the man or the woman of God that he wants you to become. Yeah, we know that he's still working on us. Isn't it good to know and frees us up? And you know, he, he loves you just as much as you are right now. Just the same. But he doesn't, he doesn't just want you to be idle, but he wants you to be pursuing him, pressing into him, seeking after him. In his word, seeking after him. I believe that all prayer is heard by God when it's in sincerity. And it doesn't even have to come out right in the right words. I mean, people have never prayed before. People that have been away from God have said some of the craziest things in their prayer. But because of the heart that was intent, God heard. God sees and understands. People can be saved out of the worst conditions just because Jesus sees the heart. Jesus can save a person in their last breath no matter what they've done because just because the grace that they will turn to Jesus in the last moment. There's hope for all people. Everyone on the earth is a potential to become a saint of God. God is not willing that any should perish but that all might be saved. Our conduct reflects our walk with the Lord. And we actually become more like Jesus 
and ought to be striving. What is our goal? To be more like Jesus than we are than we were yesterday. That's a huge challenge. But don't give up. Don't let the enemy steal your joy or bring condemnation. That's not God. God does not condemn us. The devil will. But God comes to redeem us. Lift us out. Yes, we may have sinned, but when we admit it, the work is done. And then you begin to get up and go again. Thirdly, the reason we can have victory, as we read here, I'll read verses 18 and 19 of First Peter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The Old Testament priests would take the animals that were required, they would sacrifice these animals, sprinkle the blood about the altar, symbolizing the covering, the forgiveness. It only covered the sin in in that era, in that time, but Jesus' blood that was shed once and for all takes away our sin. It's never remembered against anyone. He not only cleanses us, he cleanses our conscience. Hebrews talks about a conscience that we've been cleansed. There's, it, it's a hard sometimes for, for any person to get over the guilt and the shame of something they've done in their past. And the enemy will love to remind you. But listen, if he does bring it, Bring your mind and your thoughts and speak this over your life. But with the precious blood of the Lamb, I am forgiven through the blood of Jesus. You see, the, in the Old Testament, when the death angel was passing over, when the people were being led out of Egypt by Moses, the last straw, the last thing that broke Pharaoh was the death angel that took all the ninth to the ninth plague, all these terrific things that happened. The last one was the death angel, and this was it. If you didn't apply the blood to the doorposts of your house, the death angel would strike the firstborn. And it happened. And Pharaoh's son died along with thousands. What was the reason for that? God was bringing deliverance to his people. It's also a foreshadow of the cross that the blood of Jesus needs to be applied to our lives. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Everything that rises up to condemn us can be brought down through Jesus Christ as we learn to walk 
Listen. Some of the old time saints that grew up around would would use this phrase, plead the blood. Plead the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? It means you remind yourself and the circumstances or whoever, whatever's coming against you, that you are beneath the blood. You're covered. Satan is afraid of the blood of Jesus. He can't get through. He's blocked. Your children, fathers, pray and plead the blood of Jesus over your kids. Your grandkids. You have that authority. God is good to us. And he's redeemed us. That he's called us, he's shown us through the prophets, he's called us as the people of God to proclaim the truth of God's word. He allows us to be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus, not because of what we can do, but because of his blood that was shed. And then we have a right relationship with him so that we can walk holy. In other words, the word holy also means you are made whole. You're holy because you're, you're in right relationship. And his holiness becomes your holiness. And I want to make sure you understand, it's not how good you can be. It's how good Christ is in you, living it out. You're holy because of him. That's the difference.